This is Curl Up with a Cat Tale, and I'm Gwen Cooper, the New York Times bestselling author of numerous cat-centric titles, including Homer's Odyssey, A Fearless Feline Tale, or How I Learned About Love and Life with a Blind Wonder Cat, Spray Anything, More True Tales of Homer and the Gang, and The Book of Possum, Head Bonks, Raspy Tongues, and 101 Reasons Why Cats Make Us So, So Happy. We're here to celebrate all things feline and to tell inspirational cat tales. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tale with Gwen Cooper. I am, of course, Gwen Cooper, your host, and delighted, as always, to be here with you today. Later on in today's episode, I will be answering a reader question for the first time in a while. I think it's been at least a couple of months since I answered a reader question uh, but that's what I will be doing, a, a question from Eileen Kaiser, who is also a member of my Patreon community. And thank you so much, Eileen, for your support and for submitting a reader question this week. Um, but first, it's just going to be me talking to you and and struggling to get used to uh, the hour time changing spring forward this year. And I don't know why, because I, honestly, usually I don't even really have to adjust to the spring forward. I just kind of wake up that first morning, that, that first Sunday and go about my business. And then I go to sleep that night at the time I usually go to sleep. And I wake up the next morning, the time that I usually wake up. Um, but now I, I'm, I'm an hour behind every morning. And, and so it's really inducing the, this kind of panicked feeling in my mornings. And by the way, an hour behind, just to show you how kind of, um, neurotic, I guess I am. I usually get up at between five and five thirty in the morning. And for the past couple of days, I've been getting up between six and six thirty, what used to be five and five thirty, what is now six and six thirty. And that's still pretty early. So there's really no reason. And also, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't have a job. I mean, I work, but I don't have to be in an office. I don't have a boss who's going to give me a hard time if I'm not working by a specific time. There is a hypothetical scenario in which I could get up a- as late as I wanted and start my day as late as I want to start it. So long as I get all my work for that day done. So there's really no need for me to wake up at what used to be 5.20, let's say, and is now 6.20 with this terrible, nervous feeling that I am already behind in my day. Um, so I, I, I can't really tell you why I, I have that persistent feeling, um, but I have woken up the past couple of mornings feeling like I'm already behind. So hopefully this will not continue to be an issue. On the plus side, of course, is that it is always a much easier transition for the cats uh, going from, you know, basically it doesn't like like when the, the clock goes forward an hour, this does not upset them at all. What is upsetting for them is when the reverse happens in the fall and the clocks go back and so they have to wait an extra hour for their meals. That That's always kind of a dicey week here in our house. Um, fortunately, however... That is something I don't have to worry about. For lo these many months, I have an entire glorious spring and summer between me and the next time I have to worry about that. And I actually have much bigger problems on the horizon. Um, news that might be alarming to some of you. I don't know. But it looks like Homer's Odyssey 
is going out of print. And I'm, I'm pausing for a moment to let that sink in. So in other words, what that would mean is that if somebody wanted to buy a new copy of Homer's Odyssey, which several thousand people do every year, um, they would not be able to. They would not be able to get a new copy. It would not be in print. And, and so let me back up and explain what's going on at this point. And, and let me, and I will begin this all with a confession, which is to say that I, have not really been doing any promotion of Homer's Odyssey for a very long time. And I, I don't love promoting my own work in general. Part of the reason that I've been taking advertising classes is because I feel like there's something very, very pure about just paying for ads and then people see the ads and if they want to buy the books, then great. And if they don't, no big whoop. Um, but when I get up there and, I, and I'm flogging my books myself and please buy this book, and it is certainly something I do. It is a part of the job of being an author, but it is definitely my least favorite part of the job. And so I have not talked about Homer's Odyssey in terms of, of promoting it for a very, very long time. Um, but a few months ago, back in November, I thought to myself that I, I don't have to promote it hard. I could just put a picture of the book on Homer's Facebook page and say, hey, you know, check this book out. And if, again, if people want to, they can. And if they don't want to, that's fine. But there, there's really no reason for me to, you know, it would be annoying if that was all that I did. But there's no reason for me to never, to literally never promote Homer's Odyssey at all. And so I I did just that. I, I did a little artwork. I, I Use Canva to to make a little JPEG that showed a, a copy of the cover of the book and and a picture of Homer sitting next to it, and I, I put it on Homer's Facebook page, and it, it just I mean completely organically, just it's being there. So many people who had read and loved the book came and started commenting and having conversations with each other about the book and the sequel and and sharing oh you know sharing it to their facebook pages and telling their friends oh you should read this book i loved it it, it was really really heartening to see and at that time there was a one month backlog for copies of homer's odyssey on amazon and people started ordering the book suddenly there was a big spike in orders of the book and when i say a big spike i i don't mean a, a you know tens of thousands. I mean, it went from selling like like you know maybe five copies a week to eighty copies, um, or at least eighty people had had ordered copies. So nothing that was going to you know set the world on fire. And this is probably also where I should say, um, just <laughs> just as an FYI, that Homer's Odyssey is is now a thirteen year old book. Um, it is sales of Homer's Odyssey are by no means my my primary source of income. And in fact, I make less than $2,000 a year from Homer's Odyssey royalties. So when I express concern about Homer going out of print, I do want to be clear that I'm not afraid that that my livelihood is going to be destroyed or anything like that, just, just as a place to start from. Um, nor did I expect when, you know, that in promoting Homer's Odyssey, it would go from making, you know, me like, like 1500 a year to 150000 a year. I just thought that it would be nice to talk about the book, having not done so for a long time. Anyway, there was a sudden little spike in sales. 
at which point the book went from having a one month backlog on Amazon to just not being available on Amazon. As things stand right now, you cannot buy a new copy of Homer's Odyssey on Amazon. And the reason for that is because the publisher, Random House, Penguin Random House, has is not committing to printing any more copies. So Amazon cannot even take people's orders and say, we'll ship them when we get them, because basically the publishers told Amazon, we are not printing any more copies. We are not going to be sending this to you. Which is of some concern. And, and I'll tell you, you know, having said that Homer's Odyssey does not account for very much of my income uh, or or does not it doesn't earn me an amount of money that that I could live on above the poverty line much less make me rich homer's honesty is is not making me rich by any any stretch of the imagination um but i and i was talking about this i was on somebody else's podcast last week and and talking about this and I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing, if this makes me lucky or unlucky, but Homer has been passed away 10 years ago, this August. And in some senses, I, I have never had to fully experience my grief at his loss because he, because of the book, he has remained a meaningful part of my everyday life. There are still, you know, not a week that goes by where I don't hear from someone who is reading Homer's Odyssey for the first time and who has fallen in love with Homer and his personality and his spirit and his enthusiasm and and all those wonderful qualities that that I loved him for. And people, you know, again, I can put just a picture of Homer or a picture of the cover of the book on Homer's Facebook page and people will pile on and talk about how much they love Homer. And so in a way that I, that on the one hand, I realize makes me very, very lucky because of course, most of us, when we lose a cat are encouraged to shut the hell up about it, basically, at least when we're dealing with people outside of our immediate families. And even sometimes among members of our immediate family, it's, it's always considered, you know, there, there, there's something not very serious in the perception of someone, in in other people's perception of someone who's very wrapped up in their cat, who's very consumed with grief when they lose their cat. And that's not something that I have ever had to face, at least not with Homer, because there are just so many people who love talking about Homer and who are happy to hear me talk about him and who love learning about him for the first time. And so when I confront the possibility of the book going out of print, it, it it's like Homer would really die at that point. Like, like that, if Homer's book is not in print anymore, then, then Homer is not around anymore. Homer is no longer in this world. Uh, for better or for worse, logically or illogically, that is how I feel about it. The, the really vexing thing is that there are still several thousand people a year who buy copies of the book. And, and just to give you a sense of perspective, the typical book, and when I say typical, I mean more than 95% of the 300,000 books published by mainstream, you know, traditional publishers every year, 95% of those books will never sell more than 1,200 copies over the course of their entire life. And Homer's Odyssey, while again, not making me more than a couple thousand dollars a year, 
sells well above that in a typical year, much less over the course of its life. So I'm not exactly sure why Homer, why just when there started to be another little spike in sales, they decided to to stop printing Homer's Odyssey. My guess is that somebody at the publisher, and again, I have to say, you know, the creative team that acquired Homer's Odyssey, that worked on Homer's Odyssey with me 13 years ago, none of those people are at Penguin Random House anymore. They have left for other publishers or gone into business for themselves as freelancers. So none of them are there. The, the people who oversee the printing and distribution of Homer's Odyssey now are not people who worked on it initially. It's not their baby. It's not their book. And so maybe they they saw a little spike in sales and said, oh, hell no. We are, we are not getting deeper into Homer's Odyssey, which we never cared about in the first place. We just want this book to die a quiet death and, and get off our desks once and for all. Um, that That's the only thing I can surmise that might be happening where the response to increased demand for a book is to immediately pull the book out of print and, and just say, no, we're not printing any more copies of it. So I, I have put in a request. Uh, the, the first thing I'm trying to do is to find out what's going on, because this has been going on for coming up on a month now. Um, it started while I was overseas. I, I noticed that it happened and there was nothing I could really do about it while I was there, nor would I have wanted to. And I was on vacation and, you know, all of that good stuff. So I, the, the agent who represented Homer's Odyssey is, is also no longer in the business. She's not an agent anymore. Somebody else at her agency is is now responsible for Homer's Odyssey and, and it doesn't really, we don't really work together in any meaningful sense, but he's the one who who collects the royalties and, and sends them to me and, and talks to the publisher on the rare occasions where there's a conversation that needs to be had. So I put in a request with him to find out what's going on and to see that if to see basically that if if they don't want to print it anymore to either give or sell the rights to me so that I can publish it I am fairly well experienced at self-publishing books at this point and if if they don't want to be in the Homer's Odyssey business anymore and I understand it's been 13 years and again nobody who worked on the book is even there anymore. So if they just want a clean break out of the business, that's fine. They can give the rights to me or they could sell the rights to me. We could try to negotiate some sort of a fair price. The one thing that I find completely unacceptable is that it should just be pulled out of print and that no new copies of it should ever be printed again. Uh, again, I, I I have to say that the feeling that I have deep inside me it's not even that I'm I'm fighting for a book that I wrote that I love that I still want people to be able to read. I I, I feel I feel like I'm fighting for Homer, and and I have I'm every day I wake up fighting this incredible urge to 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 just start a fight and to fight tooth and nail and to basically with phone calls or emails or or, or even in person, but but just to do some version of you are not. You are not going to kill this cat. You are not going to kill this book. You would better. Yeah, right, 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 right. Um, right now, I am waiting to see what what they say, and and to see how things unfold. Um, and and so we will see. But it is it is upsetting to me. I also still hear. You know, I get several letters every month 
from someone who says that they adopted a blind cat because they they read Homer's Odyssey or somebody who has adopted a blind cat and then reads Homer's Odyssey um, for, for sort of insights and moral support on living with a blind cat or somebody whose cat has recently gone blind. Again, I look. I I, I don't want to valorize myself, or that it's it's still it's a book, and and I'm just an, an author fighting for her book, and and I don't want to to make it seem too. What's the, what's the word I'm looking for? I I I don't want to try to league this with the great battles of history on behalf of the oppressed and the downtrodden. I, I like I said, I'm not I'm not trying to valorize myself here or the book, but. Like I said, it, it gives me tremendous pleasure to know that that Homer is still out there in the world and and still affecting people and and still making things better for other cats and and it it has like I said, it's been a really long time since I've made any kind of significant money from the book, but I I like knowing that it's there and it is very it has been very distressing for me to think that it might not be there anymore. Um, I'm not sure where this is going to go or how this is going to play out, but I, I do promise to keep you all posted as events unfold. And on that note, I am going to take a brief break and calm myself down. Um, when I come back, I will be answering this week's reader questions. So sit back, relax, get comfortable and stick around for more Curl Up With a Cattail. much for sticking around. So today's reader question comes from Eileen Kaiser, who is a longtime member of my Patreon community. And Eileen, thank you so much for supporting me and my work on Patreon. I I truly cannot tell you how much it means to me. And Eileen has asked a a multi-part question, and so I'm just going to read it to you. Um, Hi, Gwen. I'm wondering if you keep all of the books you read or if you do eventually part with them. I have a difficult time getting rid of books. Another question. On one of your podcasts, you mentioned some of the good qualities you inherited from your father, your love of animals, and your bent toward writing. I'm wondering, in your opinion, what you feel to be your negative qualities. And it's a, a sort of a, a definitely a bracing question to begin the, uh, the week with, certainly to begin a podcast with. I'm, I'm going to take the easier one first, what I do with my with the books I've already read. Um, and that's because that's actually pretty simple. So I have a lot of books in my house and I, I read a lot of books and I prefer to read physical books. And it's partly that's an aesthetic choice. I, I just like books. I like having them in my house. I like the way they look lying around my house. Uh, but that's also I, I just find it easier to read print books than ebooks. And I understand that everybody's mileage varies on this one. I for me, it just works better with print books. I find them easier to flip through. I find it easier to hold a paperback than to hold a tablet. I, I have small hands and and 
they they have a lot of repetitive stress disorder to begin with because of all the typing that I do. And so paperbacks, because they're bendy, um, they, they just conform more easily to the shape of my hand and it feels better and whatever. So I read physical books. And I, honestly, I would keep them all. I, I really would. But it would just overwhelm our house, which again would actually be okay with me. I wouldn't mind having one of those houses where you walk in and you're like, holy crap, there's a lot of books. That, like, I really would not mind if, if every available bit of wall space had a bookshelf and was filled with books. That would suit me just fine. But of course, I do not live alone. I live with my husband who has one very tidy bookcase and is not interested in living in a crazy book hoarder's house. And fair enough, I cannot argue with this. So, and and this is actually an idea that my husband originally came up with, and it has become a beloved annual tradition. And that is that, and, and some of you may have heard me talk about this, but once a year in October, we have a big stoop sale, a book, a big Stoop book sale in Jersey City uh, in front of our house. Actually, now we do it in front of the house we used to live in because it's just a better location in our in our old house in downtown Jersey City. And we set up tables and we we come out for the day and I get rid of about 200 books, which is a lot. The astonishing thing is that when I come home from having done this, you you there, there's no there's still no empty space on my shelves. Um over the course of the year, as I read a book, I would say about three quarters of the books that I read, I end up uh, getting rid of in this manner and selling them at this this stoop book sale. About a quarter of them I, I keep for posterity. I keep on my shelf for whatever reason because I loved it so much or because I have a bunch of the author's other books or whatever the case may be. So we we have this big book sale once a year, and it's actually a lot of fun. We sell the books. We usually sell – um, trade paperbacks, which is what the overwhelming majority of my books are, for about $5 a piece. Hardcovers, I think we do seven, although we almost never have hardcovers. I don't buy hardcovers for the same reason that I don't like to read with a tablet. And again, I just really, at this point, my hands do much better with the give that a paperback book offers them. Um, and so we, we we sell them for five. We usually don't sell all the books. We usually end up coming home with a good 10 to 15 books, and they become the nucleus of the following year's book sale. Um, and then with the money that we make from the book sale, we, we have – so our friends – who are our former next door neighbors who we used to live next door to who still live there. We actually do the book sale in front of their house and they have these great folding tables and chairs that they let us use. And so we use some of the money that we make to take them out for a thank you dinner after the sale is over. And the rest of the money I usually donate to a local chat uh, cat charity. Uh, there, there are quite a few small rescue organizations within Jersey City. And it's, you know, we're not talking about huge money, but it's a few hundred dollars and and it makes me feel good to donate the money. And so it's just really a great day, actually, um, because I like so many people who love books. I I have this this fantasy embedded deep in my brain wherein I am an independent bookstore owner and what I get to do all day is match people up with books that I think they will like. And so I get to live out this fantasy one day a year when we do this book sale because we always get a really good turnout. 
Um, people really do come from from all over the neighborhood. We we do a good job promoting it w- with signage. We get sidewalk chalk and we just chalk up all the sidewalks in in downtown to let people know that there is a book sale coming. And um, and so we get a really good turnout. And I get to talk to people about books and find out what kind of books they like and and match them. If I have a book that I think they'll enjoy to match them with it and I get to talk to them about what I loved about it. Or sometimes people will come having read those books and then we can talk about those books that that we have read in common. And it's just a great day. It's a really fun day. You know, those of you who who live in Jersey City or near Jersey City or Hoboken or Newark or whatever should definitely come out the next time I do one of these, which again will probably be in October. So not very soon. But nevertheless, coming up on the the distant horizon, uh, that was the the first and the easier question to answer. The the second question is uh, what what do I think my personality flaws are? Uh, <laughs> oh boy, I, I am I'm going to tackle this in the spirit in which it was offered. Um, I can tell you right off the bat that the first of my personality flaws, and and every personality flaw, and I encourage everyone to look at this. By the way is that usually the 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 personality flaw is the flip side of of an actually positive quality that you have. So one of I think my positive qualities is that I am a leader and I'm a take charge person. I do not wait for you know when I was a kid in elementary school and they told us I remember in, in class one day the teacher told us the the Kitty Genovese story and this is a story about a woman who was stabbed to death right outside her apartment building as neighbors watched because nobody called the police or did anything, everyone thinking that somebody else would do something. And this made a very deep impression on me. It turns out I think that the story might not actually be true. But nevertheless, as a seven-year-old, it made a very deep impression on me. And the idea being that, that I don't wait to see who else is going to do something, I do something. And which can be a very good and positive personality trait. But the flip side of that is is all kinds of negative qualities like impatience. Um, I can be bossy. I can be a bully, and by bully, I don't I, I don't mean like a school bully. Like I I never taunted an eighth grader in, until she wanted to commit suicide or anything like that. But I can, you, you know, like like right now I am fighting the impulse to go to my publisher, as I said, and demand. That they either immediately put Homer's Odyssey back into print or give the rights to me. And I want to bother. I, I'm re- every day I am fighting my instinct to threaten people if they don't do what I want them to do or to harass my agent or my publisher until they do what I want them to do. Um, again, the, the flip side of being take charge is being pushy and like I said, and bullying and impatient. Um, I When I feel that things could be done in a better, more efficient way or in a way that would be more helpful or more beneficial to people, it is very hard for me not to get impatient. I, I have to always take a step back and remind myself not to express my ideas. Or First of all, it's not always a good, even if you have a more efficient or, or more helpful or better way of doing things, it's still not always a good idea to put that forward, as I have learned the hard way, because you would be surprised how many people are not psyched to hear that they've been doing it wrong, but could be doing it better if they would just listen to me. It's it's not as easy as, a, 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 it's not as easy as sell as you might imagine it would be. 
Um, but I do always have to remind myself that that people may not want to hear my suggestions and that if I'm going to offer it, I have to do it in a tactful way that is not going to make anyone feel like I think they're an idiot who doesn't know how to do things. Um, I lost a couple of jobs <laughs> this way. Um, I still think this is why, and I always say this, that, that part of the reason I continue to be a writer is because I am unemployable. Um, and, and so this may be part of why I'm unemployable. Um, so, so those are some of my negative personality. I mean, there, there's really so many more. Um, here, here's one I can tell you about that has always bothered me over the years. And part of the reason it bothers me is because I, I don't know what to do about it. Um, but from time to time, and, and this is a pretty consistent thing that has happened over the course of my life, but from time to time, somebody who I believe myself to be close to and who I care about deeply will, let's say during an argument or, or some kind of disagreement, will basically tell me that they think, I think they're stupid, that that I, that I obviously, that I am impatient with them or, or that I treat them in a way that makes them feel like I think I'm so much smarter than they are. And the thing that bothers me about it is that usually the person, like I said, the person who says this to me is, is somebody who I'm spending time with voluntarily, who, you know, with whom I'm close. And so just right off the bat, I mean, look, I, I, I don't know how everyone in my life would score in an IQ test. I know people who are conspicuously smarter than I am. I, I I guess I know people who are conspicuously less intelligent than I am. But honestly, I feel like 99.9% of the people in my life are kind of somewhere on the same continuum that I am. If I felt like I was hanging out with someone who just wasn't smart, I I couldn't hang out with them. And again, this, this comes back to my impatience. Um, here's another not great personality trait of mine is that somebody can be a lovely human being, but if I feel like they they just cannot keep up with me mentally, then I I, I get impatient and, and I cannot spend time with them. Um, so anyone who I'm spending time with is by definition somebody who I, I was going to say who I think is as smart as I am, but the truth of the matter is I just don't, th- if I'm not thinking about it one way or the other, then I guess what I'm defaulting to is saying I think they're as smart as I am. It's just not something I'm usually thinking about, particularly at this point in my life where I don't have a lot of coworkers, so I'm not constantly in a situation where I I have to let, you know, everyone has a stupid boss, right? Everyone is, has had a stupid boss. It's, if, anyone who's had a boss has had a stupid boss. Um, I no longer have a boss of any kind. Really, my life is just filled with with the people I choose, with whom I choose to associate voluntarily. Um, and so it and it's just not a thing I, I think about. Everyone I know is is better at some things than I am and not as good at some things that I'm good at, you know, in other areas. And and that is is just how these things go. Um, Lawrence doesn't read as many books as I read, but his mind is much quicker than my mind. And so I may know more things that you can read about in books, but Lawrence's mind moves faster than mine. And and so which of us is smarter? I don't think that's a question with an answer. And I'm talking about my husband, but I would apply a sort of similar logic to other areas of my life. I know most of the people I know know how to do things that I would have no idea how to begin to do. And 
So there is this part of me when somebody says this to me that is genuinely shocked because, again, the person who's saying it to me is not somebody who I consciously think of as not being as smart as I am or I wouldn't be spending – like none of us do. None, none of us hangs out with someone that we, you know, find to be unbearably stupid. Um, and yet there is obviously something that I do – that makes people feel this way. And so whatever that thing is that I do, that is also one of my negative personality traits. Um, I am such a procrastinator. Like many writers, I am such a procrastinator. I, I've gotten much better over the years. I've sort of schooled myself in the art of not procrastinating. Um, I, and I actually, and this is true, I do my laundry on Monday mornings, not over the weekend, but on Monday mornings. And that is because I like to start the week out with an easy win. It's just a, it's not an unpleasant task, but it's not a great task either. But I do it first thing Monday morning. And A, that gives me something to do early Monday morning rather than get stressed out about what I should be doing and am not doing or not doing as quickly as I should be doing it. It gives me a blueprint for the morning. It's an easy win. And it's it's easy to take that easy, that that, that feeling of confidence and roll it into whatever is next on the agenda to start my week. And it's just so sad that I have to play these kinds of games with myself. But I have learned over the years that one of the best ways to manage my tendency to procrastinate is to just kind of start with a small and mundane task and then roll that into a slightly bigger one and so on and so forth. And before you know it, it's Tuesday morning and and I am working as I should be. Um, not this Tuesday morning, because this Tuesday morning I am recording the podcast that I should have recorded over the weekend. So <laughs> exhibit A in the Gwen is a procrastinator uh, display, I guess, uh, exhibit, museum, whatever you want to call it, the trial of Gwen Cooper, the procrastinator. Um, although I will say in my own defense, this weekend, we had very dear friends visiting from out of town, and we were spending a lot of time with them. And, and it's not even that I didn't have time to do the podcast, but it was a lot of late nights um, and just things that were not conducive to my – during the time that I did have – to hypothetically record a podcast, it was just not really conducive to that. So I do apologize for this week's podcast being late. But again, yes, I, I am sometimes a procrastinator. Um, I also, like a lot of people, have a tendency to overcommit, which again, I really have had to learn to manage over the years because I really do want to do all the things I say I'm going to do. But then you get into it and you realize that you can't. And again, I realize this is a very common trait that most people at some point figure out uh, now, certainly now that I am a woman of a certain age, I am better about just giving people a regretful but realistic no, if if I just don't think I can take something on or do it. Uh, but I am always fighting that tendency to overcommit. Which I realize sounds like I'm 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 actually saying something positive about myself, and I do want to emphasize that when you tell somebody you will do something and you don't do it, the fact that you had really good intentions, that you really wanted to help them out, that you really did mean to do it, may matter to your God on whatever judgment day at the end of your life you believe in, but doesn't matter at all to the person whom you have shafted, who was expecting you to do something and then you didn't do it. And now the thing that 
that they were do- working on that depended on you doing something is ruined. It, it's kind of an evil thing to do, no matter how good your intentions may be. And again, it's it's really an impulse that I am constantly fighting within myself. You know, the one thing that I I find to definitely be a compensation for aging, which is the worst thing in the world, except for the alternative. But one of the compensations I find is that I, I'm in a constant state of smoothing over the rough edges. And at this point in my life, they are by no means all smoothed over. But on good days, I am much better at at managing them and keeping them in check. I am also the kind of person, and, and, and then I'm going to stop because I, I I really feel like now I'm like really piling on myself. But um, I am also oh, it's so it's it's so annoying. But I always want to correct people's grammar or pronunciation or the way they've used a word. Hearing somebody mispronounce a word or misuse a word, it, it really is like fingernails on a chalkboard to me. And yet, you would be surprised, or or perhaps you would not be. At, at how, what's the word I'm looking for? How much people don't like having their grammar or, or pronunciations or the way in which they've used a word corrected. Um, I actually, I will say in my own defense that I do appreciate it as long as the person isn't trying to be snotty. If they are just letting you know, hey, by the way, the way you say this word is blah, 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 or that doesn't actually mean X, it means Y. Uh, Because I always want to be saying things correctly, pronouncing things correctly, using words correctly. I I actually really do. I appreciate being corrected, just like I appreciate a good editor, Um, somebody who can look at my manuscript and tell me where something that I've written isn't working I actually do really like constructive criticism because I always want to be better, but most people do not appreciate being corrected. And fair enough, it, it is arguably an obnoxious thing to do. And so I I sit there and and silently seethe, but I I don't say anything. But even the fact that I'm seething is is really kind of a flaw in and of itself. Um, I, I can only say in my own defense that I may sometimes be hard on other people, but I am equally hard on myself. But again, none, none of this is good. None of these are good qualities. So thanks, Eileen. Thanks a lot for – just kidding again. Um, th- those are some of of my negative qualities. And a lot of them, by the way, do come straight from my dad. Uh, my dad who – like I said, I, some of the best things in, in my life and, and in my personality come from him – um, definitely some of the negative traits do also, I often consider myself to have been fortunate to grow up in a house with someone who had so many similar personality traits to me because I was able to see what the effects of some of the negative ones were, I mean, on me as my father's daughter, but also on other people in my father's life or, or you know, I, I I got to see how how some of these personal negative personality traits play out over the course of a lifetime if if no, if you don't do anything about them and and so it has made me a little bit more conscientious I think than I might otherwise have been about trying to the best of my admittedly limited ability to smooth over some of these negative traits. Um, there are definitely more by the way. But I I feel like maybe talking for 20 minutes about 
what's wrong with me would kind of be its own thing that would be wrong with me. So I'm going to call a merciful end to this conversation right now. But thank you so much, Eileen Kaiser, for contributing this question and and for providing some food for thought for the podcast this week. And with that, I, I think I'm going to to call an end to this week's podcast altogether. Thanks so much for having joined me. And I look forward to talking with all of you again next week. And that concludes this episode of Curl Up with a Cattail with Gwen Cooper. Don't forget to invite your feline-loving friends to listen to new episodes along with you. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, find out how to get your name and your cat's name included in my next book, or leave comments or questions for me to answer in future podcasts, head on over to GwenCooper.com now. Thanks so much for joining me, and don't forget to hug your cat today.